Welcome to the Enable Me podcast series, where we bring together stroke survivors, health professionals and researchers providing you with practical advice. To enable you on your journey to reclaim your life after stroke. You can join the conversation at enableme.org.au. This series is presented by Australia's National Stroke Foundation and sponsored by Allegan. The majority of stroke survivors will have problems at some point with their upper limbs. That's the arm, shoulder and hand. Now the kinds of problems you can have with upper limbs include weakness, trouble coordinating movements, changes in muscle tone, subluxation, contracture, swelling and reduced or increased sensation. And these make a big difference in your daily life. In this podcast, we're going to talk about these issues with arms and hands and shoulders and what you can do for recovery. We'll be speaking to occupational therapist, educator and researcher Annie McCluskey about what the evidence says about upper limb problems and we'll talk to physiotherapist Tani Winks from the Stroke Foundation about where to start. Our first guest is stroke survivor Rebecca schmidt Lachlan. Rebecca was an active, fit 26-year-old when she had a blood clot in her brainstem. In the years since then, she's come a long way and she now represents the interests of other stroke survivors as a member of the Stroke Foundation's Consumer Council, as well as advocating for improved access at the Unandera train station. Thanks for coming into the studio, Rebecca. Thank you. Now, I'll start with uh, my usual question, which is, uh, could you please tell us your stroke story? Uh, mine was uh, a very... A devastating story to me. I think I lost everything overnight. And basically, I thought I had food poisoning and it turned out to be a stroke. And they told my parents I probably wouldn't make it through the night. Then when I woke up, I was told I would have locked-in syndrome, which meant my movement that I had at the time was from the neck down and that was going to be all that was left. I did not believe that and I was a bit defiant and I think that might have helped me to get as good as I am now. But um, it took a long progression of having to do lots and lots of rehab and things that I thought were normal. Everyone was really excited when I could move a toe or something like that and I couldn't understand the significance of it. But reflecting on it later, I kind of think, oh, wow, I did do that. So I think it's from something that was such a big impact, I feel I've done a lot to get as good as I am today. For you, it must have been a big impact all over your whole body, the the effects of the stroke. Well, pretty much I had to learn everything again. Um, I had to learn to speak again. My speaking was nowhere near at this level within the first year. I had to learn how to walk again. I couldn't walk. I had to go through the driving test so that I could be able to drive again. I had to try and get myself back into the workforce. Everything that I thought as a young, fit person that I thought I was... (laughs) I wanted to get as much of that back so that I could have a quality of life and try and pick up where I left off. So I found a lot of physio, a lot of OT and a lot of speech therapy and case counselling and things like that. I had to do a lot of that probably every week or so. I'm Daily I would do those things, but the case meetings probably every week or so. We're here today, I guess, mostly talking about upper limbs and uh, you have particular effects on your arm. That's your right arm, isn't it, that was affected? Uh, yeah, yeah, the right hemiplegia. Okay, and so what was the effects of your on your arm, sort of, I guess, after the stroke, and, 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 and how is it now? I found it improved quite a fair bit, where I could rest it just on my legs by itself, 
within the time I was in the hospital, but then at the end of the hospital stay, they recommended me to have a Botox injection, which would decrease the muscle tone in the ones that were too strong and allow the smaller muscles to take over and let my arm move freely. So now I'm allowed to, I can actually straighten out my arm. My fingers are still a little bit robotic, but that's okay. But I'm glad I have the same pretty much range as most people. I'm happy with that. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned getting injections for um, the high tone, the spasticity yeah. in, in, your, in your arm. What about the um, getting other function back? What kind of rehabilitation did you need to do for that? Um, well, generally I did that with the OT and that was mainly things like learning to lift up the, the right arm so I could use it to put washing on the line. A lot of things where I had to raise my arm because the muscle tone just wasn't there in my tricep to do that lift still to a certain point. It only goes so far and then it wants to stop. But I'm able to try and manoeuvre and push it so it will go where I want it to go. But it was very restrictive for a long time and I found just repetitive tasks and trying to, knowing what you wanted to do and not giving up until you got to that point was the driving factor in making my arm as good as it is today. Okay. And are you still working on things like um, like your hand uh, function and, and that sort of stuff? Um, generally, I do that with um, at home. Um, I don't actually go to a physiotherapist anymore. But when I do, I try and use like what I was taught in hand therapy class, which is basically use your right hand for all the tasks that you would do your left hand with. So things like remote controls and things like that. I'm trying to improve the dexterity and movement in that hand. Okay. And is it things like um, sensation and stuff, like the feeling of touch that you're also trying to get back, or is it mostly just about the dexterity? Uh, it's mostly just about the dexterity. I can feel pretty good in my arm most of the time. Um, but generally, if I, if I hurt myself quite bad, then it doesn't register as much so that it's as serious as it is. But I can generally feel most of my arm at the moment. Okay. And, and so how do you think you're going? Do you think you will gradually get um, more and more uh, movement back? I think that is really up to me. Yeah. Um, and how much I want to get on top of it and try and be able to use it properly as well as I can use the left one. And that's just a matter of going through repetitive tasks and trying to increase the tone and movement through those fingers. Okay. Uh, so then I guess from that, what sort of advice would you give other people who've got issues with their, with their arms and hands and, and shoulders and things? Um, well, I've, I've been speaking to a um, Stroke Safe member that's based in Sydney as well, and he's a hand therapist. Mm-hmm. He basically, that's his field. And he told me that it's really up to us. How much you get out of it is how much you put in. So I'm, I'm happy to keep going as long as I have to go to get to where I need to be. Okay. And where, do, where is that that you, you hope to get to? Oh, I'm hoping that one day it won't be... So hard to move my fingers around, they'll be a bit more free and not so tensed up. Brilliant. Well, uh, good luck with that, Rebecca. Um, and thank you again for coming in. And good luck also with all your, your campaign work. I hope you get, the, um, you get the goals you're after there as well. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much for inviting me. That was stroke survivor Rebecca Schmidt-Lachlan. 
When you or someone you love has a stroke, you are instantly bombarded with a whole lot of medical terms, and it's pretty hard to take them all in. It's like learning a whole new language. To help you, we've created Strokeosaurus, a glossary of stroke terms. It's an A to Z guide of the language used around stroke. From atrial fibrillation to Webster Pack, it explains key terms in simple language. You can access it on your computer, smartphone, or tablet at enableme.org.au. Our next guest is Dr. Annie McCluskey. Annie is an occupational therapist with over 30 years' experience in stroke and brain injury rehabilitation. She's an honorary senior lecturer at the University of Sydney and adjunct associate professor at James Cook University. She's also a member of the Stroke Foundation's Clinical Council and has been heavily involved in updating the clinical guidelines for stroke management, and she can often be found on Enable Me commenting on issues with upper limbs. Thanks for joining us, Annie. We're very lucky to have you. Thank you. Now, we put out a call for questions on this topic to our community, and we've got a huge response. Now, many people seem to struggle with regaining function in their arm and hand, even after they've recovered with their walking. Is this, a, is this common? And if so, do we know why? Um, yeah, if you actually look at the um, incidence or the prevalence of uh, upper limb problems, probably about 70% of people who've had a stroke have long-term difficulties with um, their arm use. And in that first week after the stroke, about 30 to 45% of people will have a very severe weakness, um, almost no movement or little movement in their arm. And the, we, we think the reason why people get more difficult, have more difficulty with their arm than with their leg is that you, you have to be able to stand to transfer to get on the toilet, to get in and out of bed. So there's demand being placed on your affected leg and the muscles in your leg um, every day when you're doing things on the ward after you've had a stroke. And you can't really manage if you can't stand on that leg. Um, as well. Whereas with your arm, you can you can get by with one arm. And the other thing is that the arm is the hand in particular, and the fingers and the fingertips are quite complex. There's a large area of our brain associated with that. Um, so we think maybe that's why it takes longer for the arm to recover, and it's more it's more complex certainly for us to train as therapists. Given your role, we're talking about the updated clinical guidelines, and now they are to be released later this year, of course. But what can you tell us now about what the evidence shows in terms of upper limb recovery? Well, you'll see in the guidelines when they come out that they, um, there are recommendations for people who've got severe weakness people have got moderate and mild weakness. And so when I talk about severe impairment or weakness, um, that's people who've either got no movement in their arm, who can't lift it up off their lap onto the table, or perhaps can lift their shoulder, uh, lift their arm up, but they haven't got any movement in their finger on their hands. And for that, the uh, guidelines recommend that therapists should offer people electrical stimulation, uh, robotics, which certainly not a lot of health services, public health services have at this point in time, but uh, there is evidence robotics uh, can help to get people's arm moving and what's known as task-specific training where a therapist will target a particular muscle such as you know the muscles at the front of the shoulder or the muscles inside the thumb and try to get that particular muscle to contract uh, once or twice or multiple times. So that's really all we have at the, at the level of somebody who has a very severe weakness or has no movement in their arm. Electrical stimulation, specific training targeted at individuals 
individual muscles and then trying to get all those muscles to work together. And where robotics are available, they're obviously a, a, an adjunct. But I should say robotics aren't the be-all and end-all. But, um, you know, they need a therapist to be able to operate them. They're often only available at certain times in hospitals where they are available. So that that's one limitation of them. When we move to people who've got um, probably the majority of people who have moderate recovery, they've got some movement but can't use their arm functionally, we can then add in as well as those three things, we can add in mirror therapy and mental practice and use of video games and interactive games like the Wii to help drive some movement in the arm. And then if we move down to somebody who's got a mild weakness, uh, and that might be somebody who may only be in hospital for a short time, uh, they can use their arm, they can hold objects, but may have difficulty with cutlery and writing. That's the, pe- the kind of people where constraint-induced movement therapy might be um, offered and could be useful. Okay, can you just explain what constraint-induced movement therapy is? Yes, it's a um, it's a therapy that's offered as an intensive block, usually for three to four hours a day for two weeks. Um, mostly, it's supervised by a therapist, an OT or occupational therapist or physiotherapist, and um, the uh, the person who's practicing, who's who's uh, receiving the therapy, will be getting. Um, help to do practice, lots of practice with their arm and their hand. Uh, their their good hand will be constrained, will be restricted inside some kind of a glove or a mitt. Sometimes we just use an oven glove. Um, and that's really to try and drive the brain to get messages down to the hand. So that the main features are intensive practice, you know, usually two, three, four hours a day for two weeks, mostly supervised. Uh, the affected arm is, is working a lot and the other arm is, is not used. It's constrained in some way. And the, the final part is there's the homework given so people will have five to ten activities they have to try and do at home or on the ward uh, overnight to try and really get their arm working over that two week period when they're doing the program. Okay. And so and you said though this it's not for everybody this particular therapy. It's it's only recommended for people who've got some wrist and finger movement. So people who can perhaps open one or two of their fingers, uh, not necessarily easily, but they can open them and they can extend their wrist back a bit. So for someone who doesn't have any hand function, it's not the sort of therapy that would have the same benefits. Okay. Um, I should also mention, as I've said on the Enable Me website um, or list, that there are quite a few public services now in Australia that are starting to offer constraint therapy, even if it's in a modified way. And there have always been private services in Australia that people can can go and pay for a two-week block of constraint therapy. Now, you did mention robotics as well. Now, that sounds like something that's fairly uh, large bit of equipment they might get in the hospital. What about for people at home um, looking for devices that might be able to help them? There seem to be a lot of things on the market, and obviously buying something to help you with the problems is, is appealing. But are there devices that can help? Um, well, most of the robotics that are available commercially, um, there's one called the RMAO, um, I forget the names of some of the other ones, but you're looking at $100,000 for most of them. Um, and they're even beyond many of the health services. It's only when health services get a grant or a donation that are often able to buy these items of equipment. There are private clinics. Uh, there's certainly one in Melbourne I know of, and there may be some in Brisbane and Sydney, where people can go and um, use the equipment at those uh, premises. With the technology, very often they're linked up to a computer and so somebody needs to be able to understand how to operate the computer um, as well as the actual physical equipment. Other devices that are available that are less expensive, 
on the Stroke Foundation Facebook page, there was a device which was made by a relative of a person who'd had a stroke, David Hill, who's up the north coast of New South Wales, which is a wooden device that allows the person's arm to slide uh, in a trough and for the person to practice their shoulder mm-hmm. movement. It's called the Strong Arm, and that device uh, I've had made up at a couple of hospitals to use with uh, people who are very weak and allows them to start using their shoulder muscles a bit more easily. Um, what about things like the, uh, I think like the, the Sabo type um, gloves and an arm material? Uh, yes, the, the Sable Flex, as it's called, which is a, it's a bit like a glove with pieces of wire attached to it that um, needs to be fitted by an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist who's been trained in using the equipment. They cost um, about $2,500 per device, plus you've got to pay a therapist to help you with um, fitting them. They can certainly help to open people's fingers uh, and allow them to practice grasping and releasing if they have a bit of shoulder movement. We have very little research on the, the effectiveness of the um, Sable Flex at this point. So um, when I run workshops for clinicians and encouraging them what to do and teaching them what to do, um, at this point in time, I don't uh, cover the Sable Flex because the um, the research is still unclear whether the, the cost and the um, amount of time spent fitting it uh, benefits people. But uh, there are some public hospitals now and outpatient services that have a kit. They can buy a kit and fit a number of people with the Sable Flex and lend it to them to take home for several weeks of practice and that's uh, certainly worthwhile people trying if they have access to uh, to the Sable Flex. Uh, now I'm thinking also again about the the video games and virtual reality that you mentioned. I understand this is something that you have researched yourself? Yes, there's, there's actually a recommendation in our guidelines that um, uh, video games and virtual reality uh, should be used, should be offered to people who've got mild to moderate arm impairment because it does improve people's arm function when it's used in addition to the more traditional therapies. And when it is used, um, it's recommended that people should have at least 15 hours total extra video games or virtual reality games on top of their traditional therapy. So that might happen in the ward. Um, sometimes the, people will be familiar with the Nintendo Wii games. Uh, they can be quite helpful for getting people's arm to move in response to something on a screen. They can also be used at home. Many families will have the Nintendo Wii games at home uh, and sometimes in hospitals they're used on the ward at the weekends and in the evenings to help try and get people's arm moving. So they might follow something on the screen with their arm or their hand but it's not for everybody. Not everybody engages with technology or likes using video games. They find them difficult to understand sometimes and uh, they can break down. Sometimes the therapists don't necessarily always use them or know how to use them. So they can have limitations and that's why we say that they're used in addition to uh, more traditional therapies, uh, not instead of. Other games that people can use on an iPad, there are quite a few games that would encourage and promote um, finger movement. So things like the Fruit Ninja, games like that can be quite useful for promoting finger and hand movement and can be used in a sitting position. But looking at a, at a different aspect of it now, um, what about uh, issues with sensation? We've had a few people report things like uh, constant pins and needles in their arms. Is there anything that can be done for that? Um, yeah, people do get um, unusual sensations cutting down from their brain after they've had a stroke. Sometimes, in fact, pins and needles can be a good thing if it's the beginning of, of movement or, or feeling starting to come back in fingers that were otherwise quite numb. So probably the, the bigger problem for most people is that they have no feeling in their fingers or their hand and they can't feel somebody touching them, can't feel 
feel cutlery when they pick it up, can't feel um, hot, can't feel cold, which makes it dangerous for their hand. So sometimes when pins and needles are coming back, that's a good sign. It's the beginning of some recovery in that sensation. Some people can be hypersensitive to their hands. And I guess the most of the rehabilitation is focused on trying to help people get more sensation back in their fingertips, particularly training them to be able to discriminate between different surfaces, uh, different uh, objects, different shapes, different weights. And there's a very structured program that therapists can learn to do called the SENSE program that was developed by a therapist in Australia, Professor Leanne Carey, uh, which runs for 10 sessions and can be used at any time post-stroke with benefits for people's uh, sensation. It doesn't target the pins and needles or the hypersensitivity. It more targets the loss of sensation in the fingers. And I would encourage people with stroke to ask the therapist about that particular program if they're not receiving any dedicated sensory retraining, either as an inpatient or as an outpatient. All right. We did talk about uh, some other these complications uh, like pain and spasticity also in, um, in some of our previous podcasts. So I'd recommend people listening to track those ones down if they want to find out more about those issues. Uh, one thing we haven't covered before, though, is shoulder subluxation. I get the impression that's fairly common too, is it? Um, not as common as you would think. It's, um, I, I can't remember from the guidelines what the proportion is, but um, certainly people who've got, if we think about maybe 20-30% of people having no movement in that first week after their stroke, that's when people are at risk of a subluxation because the weight of their arm can stretch some of the, um, the ligaments around the shoulder. And that's the, the critical time for trying to prevent stretching of, of ligaments so uh, around that- the joint. So it is, can I, sorry, just ask, it's, it is that the shoulder being kind of pulled out of the joint, is that what it is? Yeah, it's really a dislocation. Okay. Um, and once the ligaments of the muscles around the shoulder are stretched, they can't go back again. So it's helpful if we can help people to prevent that from happening in the first place by using things like a lap tray or, or a sling. And we have very little research on the, on the effectiveness or the benefits of using things like lap trays and slings, but it just is common sense that if you can take the weight of the arm away, uh, you you know you're possibly going to help protect some of those ligaments. But the the critical thing in that first one to two weeks is trying to get the muscles around the shoulder to contract. So what we call active motor training. So we we would want therapists who are seeing people patients in hospital to be trying to get those muscles to work using things like electrical stimulation on the muscles at the front and the back of the shoulder. Shoulder strapping is sometimes used to. Um, prevent subluxation, but there's no evidence that that actually does prevent it. And then if somebody does develop a subluxation, despite having slings, despite having a lap tray, it doesn't mean that they can't get recovery back, and it doesn't mean that they can't get movement, even if they do have that stretching of the uh, ligament. Sometimes you can see people who've got a little bit of a gap, a little bit of a zip in their shoulder from the subluxation, but they can still lift their arm up onto the table and still use their arm again um, to a more or less degree. Pain is a different thing. Shoulder pain can be a problem uh, even when people can move their arm. Strapping uh, with tape has been shown to reduce pain and so therapists should offer that as a as an intervention and steroid injections may also help to reduce pain um, as well as botulinum toxin that can sometimes reduce pain if somebody has prolonged pain that's stopping them from using their arm. Now I guess people are having problems 
like uh, coordination problems or movement problems with their arm and in particular the, the loss of sensation, then they're at higher risk of injuring themselves and possibly making their arms worse. Um, how should people try and avoid that? Um, yeah, the main problem for, for people who get injuries is that they perhaps don't feel their hand when it's uh, they're sitting on it or they roll on it at night in bed or they, um, they may burn it on the stove. So, I mean, if people don't have cognitive problems, thinking problems, attentional problems, then they can learn how to protect their hand more. It might mean wearing a glove when they're out uh, in the in the cold weather or um, uh, when they're doing things that it's likely to get injured with. It's often when people have a neglect and an inattention as well, that's when it's more, um, more problematic. The other reason why sometimes people get injuries is they're just not using their arm and so the more people can try to use their arm um, the better. A sling can be useful for keeping the person's arm safer but I would encourage people to not wear a sling all the time because um, you know people want to be trying to get their arm to, to move certainly as early as possible and keep on trying. It sounds as though there is a certain extent of people having to I guess adjust and compensate for the lack of movement they have in their arm as opposed to I suppose well I suppose the question is should they be aiming for full recovery or should they be is it a certain level of um, aiming for the best you can and adjusting and are there ways to adjust? Um, I've got no doubt that people should be aiming for as much recovery, full recovery um, as early as possible and should always be aiming high. Um, I get I get quite despondent as I'm sure many stroke survivors do when I hear somebody saying don't worry about your arm just get back to walking um, because people do need to worry about their arm and be concerned about their arm and um, the more that people start to try and get messages from their brain to their hand and their arm the more likely they are to be able to get movement coming back. Uh, so I, I would be suggesting to people um, have hope, aim high, don't listen to people in that early period after their stroke that say you know you won't get recovery back. There are certainly probably 20% of people with stroke who, who won't get recovery back in their hand and their arm even long term. We don't know who those people are because some people can get recovery back three months, six months afterwards, little by little. So we need to have ways of helping those people access therapy and rehabilitation even after they've left hospital so that they can get some expert advice and help uh, and know what to do if they are a late starter. Well, overall though, that does sound like a fairly positive message though. I guess what I find out, what is your, what is your main advice that you want to give stroke survivors then? Um, I probably have a few key messages. One is that um, if people are going to improve their arm and their hand, they will they will certainly need to be actively involved in the practice. It's not about people doing things to their arm. Um, certainly, that you know, good therapy advice can can be important, but in the long term, we're talking about people continuing to work on their arm for five to ten years, as many people will do. Um, they're going to have to find ways to set. Uh, to, to build practice into their daily routine. You know, it might be that they do their practice a bit like their exercises in the morning before or after breakfast, um, and then they have a review from time to time from a therapist to give them ways to progress and and, and, and continue to do, to do their practice. Um, there is a very useful book called Stronger After Stroke by um, uh, an American that is very helpful and gives lots of good advice by Peter Levine. It was published in 2008 and there's a new edition published in 2012 that people can order online for that $25. And it was a stroke survivor who, who suggested this book, Stronger After Stroke. It has um, good suggestions about motivation and keeping motivation going long term. If you're keeping working on your recovery, not just on your arm, it has tips for different exercises. It, uh, it has more accessible information about the research. Um, so that's a good resource for people to get if they want to continue working on their physical recovery.
think about recovery as a long-term, lifelong process if you really want to continue to work on your arm. And I acknowledge that not everybody will continue to want to work on their arm or their walking. Their focus might change to other things. Having goals is important and having measurement of your um, progress every few months so that you can see that the effort's been worth it. And videos are very helpful for that, as well as some standardized measures that therapists can use. I think we know that people have very variable access to ongoing expert therapists beyond hospital, and that's an ongoing problem. Uh, but there are ways of having tele-rehabilitation if people want to try and make contact with people. Um, if there's nobody locally, they can try looking at uh, tele-rehabilitation. And just going back to practice, I would mention that not only is tele-rehab one way of helping to get some ongoing input from therapists, but there's also ways of doing that in a group. So having a group of people who get together uh, to do their practice in a semi-supervised environment, perhaps at a hospital, perhaps in a community centre. And maybe finally, one one comment that I'd like to stress, and I hope this has come through, that weakness is the most common problem people comment on, that they can't get their muscles to work, they're not strong, they need to find ways to get the muscles to contract. Spasticity, I know, is a focus of one of your uh, previous podcasts, but that's not typically what we hear patients and stroke survivors saying in the long term. It's the fact that they can't get their muscles to contract, that they're weak, is the biggest problem that I think we need to focus on in hospital and uh, therapists need to focus on uh, when they're offering uh, suggestions. And you'll see that coming through in the guideline recommendations as well. Great. Well, thank you very much, Annie. Um, I look forward to seeing those guidelines when they're released and look forward to seeing more of you on Enable Me. Okay, thank you. That was Dr. Annie McCluskey. Enable Me is Australia's online stroke community. It's a place where stroke survivors, their carers and supporters can find information, share their experiences and inspire each other with their recovery. Signing up is free and takes just a minute. It allows you to post questions and comments, set and track your own recovery goals and connect with people who understand exactly what you're going through. It's filled with evidence-based resources, videos and stories. It's everything you need to grow stronger after stroke. Sign up now in seconds at enableme.org.au. Finally today, we have physiotherapist Tani Winks, who works on the Stroke Foundation's follow-up service. Thanks so much for joining us, Tani. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to be here today. In your calls to people, do you often encounter people having issues with their arms, hands and shoulders? We do, actually. It's quite a common problem following stroke. But it's really variable and we certainly speak with people of all ages experiencing a variety of issues actually with their arms or hands or shoulders. And often once they're home, it can actually become more apparent what tasks, activities involving the arm or upper limb are challenging and what tasks are most important to them to be actually able to perform or what's going to make their life easier or help them get back to the activities they really want to get back to doing. So because the, the issues can vary significantly, so does the impact on people's function and their ability to do the things that they want to do in their daily life. And it can also then impact on their independence as well. So I often find that um, by the time we contact people, sometimes their goals have changed as well from maybe the early stages when they were in hospital. And it becomes more apparent as to um, how they want to participate in their general activities of daily living or what their goals are to return to. Yeah, it sounds like there is a complex range there that you've got. Now, I don't want to oversimplify things, but could you give us some um, kind of the top tips that you that you would give to people who are experiencing upper limb problems? Uh, because it is such a broad area, probably the top tips um, that we would recommend when we're talking to people 
is to certainly access health professionals who have experience in stroke and neurological rehab um, as a good starting point. So talking to a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist in particular can be helpful to look at how you can move and use your arm and look at at what is there that you would like to work on and um, allowing them to help assess and work with you and test for the, the strength and the movement quality and the feeling that you do have in your arm. And with looking at working with you and looking at those things, they can work with you to find out what's the most important things for you and to develop a rehabilitation program specific to your needs and goals. Therapists can give guidance and advice of how to also care for your arm, especially if it is particularly weak or if you are experiencing any of the symptoms of pain and know how to care for it and position it safely and any family members or um, people involved with your care, giving them advice on, on what might work best for you and how to support the arm to try and reduce the risk of damage is also important. But certainly there are lots of ways to access appropriate health professionals. So some people might have already been involved with a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist whilst in hospital or been referred on to some ongoing rehabilitation either as an outpatient or in the community. So through hospitals or rehabilitation units is one way to access allied health professionals or certainly through community rehabilitation settings as well. If you haven't had anybody involved with you at this point in time or at the point in time when you might need somebody, you can also talk to your GP and your GP can often also um, help with making referrals to allied health professionals. So you can also access private practitioners as well. So there are professional bodies such as the Physio Association or Australian Physiotherapy Association and Occupational Therapy Australia and there are certainly links to those associations on Enable Me to help people to, to know what services or what organisations are out there that you can access. And certainly if anybody has any trouble or would like to know more about you know, how to access somebody to give them some guidance and advice on that area, then certainly the Stroke Line Allied Health Professionals are there to help as well. Another tip that um, we had was around goal setting. So it's really important that um, people determine what's important to them and that you can have your own goals about activities that you'd really like to be able to perform or that maybe you're finding challenging but it's important to you to keep working on. How to participate and keep up the motivation to keep working hard to achieve those goals. So some people might have like a really big general goal and sometimes the challenge is also to find the ways of, of working towards that bigger goal by setting smaller goals and then you can see how you can achieve them along the way which helps with motivation and keeps it keeps it going and keep you motivated to keep working hard. So therapists can certainly help you with goal setting as well and also finding ways to measure how you're going with your activities and with your, your goals can also prove really valuable and important in actually keeping motivated. So therapists are also able to help you review your goals and help keep progressing them as your progress improves or as your needs change. Um, because certainly over time, people do find that there are a, a new things that you know they want to achieve or work towards, especially if they've achieved the goals that they've already set for themselves. And again, if you need help with goal setting, which can be new for some people, there's also information on Enable Me about goal setting as well. As might have been mentioned earlier, trying to achieve recovery through neuroplasticity, which is a very, very important topic of research and certainly one that there's some evidence around, um, practice is very important. 
and repetition and lots of ongoing practice is the key to driving recovery and neuroplasticity. And so having said that goal setting, I thought was a key point, um, having goals that you're happy to work towards helps you to increase the motivation to, to practice um, at the right challenge point. So making sure that things aren't too easy, but certainly not too difficult is a key factor. So having things that are functional, so useful and purposeful to you is a really good way of actually being motivated to continue to practice tasks over a long period of time. So if you haven't um, been able to start or or get any advice around certain activities to keep practicing, then therapists can certainly help work with you to come up with an individual program to best meet your goals and your needs and at the right challenge point or level for you to start with and and also help you to to know ways of, of measuring how you're going with that and knowing how to then progress as appropriate for you. And even if some people um, don't have a lot of movement, there are, there are other ways of actually practicing and learning how to get advice to be able to incorporate your arms safely and comfortably to be able to be used in, in certain ways um, in just your meaningful everyday activities or tasks and positioning is also a good way of actually incorporating that um into meaningful practice. And also um, using mental practice as well can be really valuable. So therapists like occupational therapists or physiotherapists can be beneficial in those ways to help you work towards your needs at your level and to help keep you motivated to keep practicing because there's, there is that potential for change, but um, you certainly need the specific repetitive task practice. My last tip, Chris, I'd say would probably be that sometimes progress can seem slow and at different points in time, people might benefit from having some ongoing peer support um, or social support around them um, and also having balance so that it's important to also do what you enjoy and use your whole body as well. And certainly being connected to stroke support groups can be really valuable for a lot of people and knowing that as other people that that do share some similar experience or maybe have found things or know of of, um, things that can work, but everybody is individual and certainly just knowing how to access different supports can be really valuable to people once they're home from hospital and, and have been living in the community and have aims of doing things that they would like to get back into the community and do or even return to work for a lot of people. And so on Enable Me, there's also links to or information about support groups and there's also a way that people can communicate with each other in the community and share stories and information. And there's a lot of information on the Enable website about um, upper limb and hand management. So they're probably my top tips at the moment, Chris. Uh, anything else you'd like to add there, Tani? Probably my main key is that certainly because there is potential for change, but it can be hard to see change um, quickly. So persistence is really important. The more opportunity for practice that's specific and meaningful you, then the more opportunity there is for um, ongoing recovery. Well, thank you very much, Tani, and thank you for giving a bit of a, a boost there to enable me for its uh, the support and um, information that is available there. Now, if anyone wants to find out more and speak to someone about their issues, they can call a stroke line, speak to a health professional. That is 1-800-787-653 or 1-800-STROK. 
RKE. And that goes for anyone who wants to know about this specific situation. As I said, we had a lot of questions submitted and we weren't able to cover them all. So please ring Stroke Line or in a few weeks, you'll have, a, you'll have another chance to ask some questions when we hold our online group chat on upper limb issues. So if you're an Enable Me member, you'll get a notification of when that will be taking place. And you can also, of course, to Enable Me, ask your question and get a response from health professionals and other stroke survivors. And that is it for our podcast for today. If you like what you've heard, please give us a good rating and review on iTunes as that helps other people find our podcast. Thanks again to our guests, Rebecca Schmidt, Annie McCluskey and Tani Winks. That's all for today's Enable Me podcast. You can find out more on this topic and continue the conversation or listen to other podcasts in the series at our website, enableme.org.au. It's free to sign up and you can talk with thousands of other stroke survivors, carers and supporters. We also have health professionals from StrokeLine who can answer your questions and give evidence-based advice. The advice given here is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your health professional. If you would like to suggest a topic or provide feedback, contact us via the website enableme.org.au. The music in this podcast is Signs by stroke survivor Antonio Ianella and his band, The Lion Tamers. It was recorded at Antonio's studio, which you can find out more about at www.studio499. That's F-O-U-R-99.org.au. This Enable Me podcast series is produced by the National Stroke Foundation in Australia with the support of Allegan. At Allegan, we know every stroke is different and so is every recovery. After stroke, many people have muscle weakness and loss of movement, but you might also be experiencing tight muscles or stiffness in your arms, fingers or legs. It's called spasticity. You might have muscle spasms or uncontrollable jerky movements in your arms or legs, changes in your posture or unusual limb positions, and it can cause pain. It can be treated though. Physiotherapy or occupational therapy can help you adapt and improve your movement. There are other possibilities too, such as injections with botulinum toxin type A, electrical stimulation of the muscles, electromyograph or EMG biofeedback and muscle relaxing medication. What is important is to start your rehabilitation as soon as possible after a stroke and to discuss your goals and progress with your rehabilitation team at every stage. Allegan is proud to bring you this Enable Me podcast.